This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. More than 340 million Christians, an incredible one in eight Christians worldwide suffer high levels of persecution for their faith. And the number of Christians who were murdered rose an incredible 60% just in 2020. And these are just some of the new findings in Open Doors USA has just released 2021 World Watch List. And what role did the COVID-19 pandemic play in the rising persecution? We're going to get some answers to those questions now from David Curry, who is president and CEO of Open Doors USA. David, just great to welcome you back. How are you doing? It's always good to talk to you, Janet. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. Well, according to your new report, I listed some of the numbers there, but Christian persecution is now at a record high, which is appalling. But tell us a little bit about what you discovered concerning believers suffering around the world. Well, what we're seeing is that the the issues, the subject matters which are driving this incredible rise over the past eight or nine years in persecution of, of Christians uh, are still there. It's extremism, whether it's Hindu extremism, Islamic extremism, it's governments like North Korea, China, that are focusing their efforts on Christian populations, churches, and religious freedom. You see all of that is still in place, and then you add this new filter which is COVID-19. And what we found in this year's data is that governments and extremists are using this as a lever, as a justification to, to persecute Christian minorities within their country. What that means particularly, let me give you one example. In India, 115,000 families that we found that were denied food and aid by their village leader, by their community leader, the aid that was distributed because they either thought that because they weren't Hindu, they were cursed, <laughs> or that because they were Christian, they were going to bring a curse upon the village, or even this that they had this political mindset that said, if you're a Christian, somebody else can deal with you. We're going to distribute this aid elsewhere. 115,000 families. Then you have extremists like in the north of Nigeria, Boko Haram, which I detailed in our report that they're attacking Christian villages that are locked down. They're killing people. They're taking food and medical supplies. So this is the kind of thing which is unusual this year. Nobody could have anticipated it, of course, but you see governments and extremists using this as an opportunity, and that's tragic. It is. I'm curious to ask you, when you talk about Nigeria in particular, where people are locked down and that just makes them even more the sitting ducks for persecution, how have the Christians responded? Has there been any effort by Christians in any of these locations to say to their governments, don't lock us down, it's making life worse for us, and can we get some relief? I think everybody is sort of, you know, there's this unknown of, of of the social contact and the spread of it. People want to obey the rules in order to stay safe from COVID. But what Nigerian Christians understand is that this government has been so ineffectual in protecting, maybe intentionally, you almost wonder, they've been so hapless in protecting against Boko Haram 
that they know that there's no chance that they're going to step up. We need a new, stronger administration there in Nigeria that has the will to protect Christian minorities in the north. What it means to the international community is that you have a region of, of a very important country that has spun out of control. Boko Haram now controls major parts if you consider it through terror, certainly, and otherwise, of northern Nigeria. But they're going into Niger. They're going into Burkina Faso, which is now, it's, it's to the west of the country. It's now 32 on the world watch list. It wasn't even there three years ago. But Boko Haram is trying to build a caliphate, much like ISIS did in Iraq and Syria. They're trying to do that in Nigeria, Niger, Cameroon, Chad, and Burkina Faso. And they could succeed. They haven't been as coordinated as ISIS, but there's nothing to say. All of the patterns are there. So this is important to recognize that the persecution of Christians is not just about a bunch of folks whining about uh, that we're not appreciated. These are incidents of violence. They're, it's discrimination for, uh, for a faith in Jesus, for having a Bible. It's targeted persecution, and it has an effect on the greater society because these are areas which are tipping over into chaos because nobody is paying attention or caring about what's happening. That's horrible. And it's very distressing to read this conclusion here that every country in the top 50 on your world watch list is ranked as experiencing very high or extreme levels of persecution. To what extent is that attributable to COVID-19 versus persecution is just getting worse across the board for various reasons? COVID is just a filter. It's, It's another layer of it. But, but all of the drivers are primarily extremism and its impact on Christian communities, government's un, uh, unresponsiveness to protect it, or in some cases, they're targeting Christians. Governments like China is now targeting 100 million Christians, its own citizens. They're monitoring it. They have the ability to track it, to score their behavior in ways that... You know, you think we have censorship problems. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what China is doing right now to Christian minorities. By the way, not just Christians. They're detaining a hundred, uh, about a, a million uh, Uyghur Muslims, ethnic and, and religious Muslims in the northwest of the country, detaining them, sterilizing some of the women. So they have a pattern against any religious minority. It just so happens Christians are the largest religious minority in China. And they're in growing danger, I think. It's the number one. It poses the greatest threat to the worldwide human rights uh, uh, ideas uh, is what's happening in China right now. It's one of many problems. I realize that. But I think it's a significant one. Oh, it's huge. You know, those pictures have been circulating online for a while now of those Uyghurs in front of trains and people have been talking about, you know, concentration camps in China. What, what is the truth about that? Are there Christians being taken to some of these camps or what, what do you know about what China is doing to some of these religious minorities, including Christians? Well, we can verify that it's happening. I mean, you you have, it, when I say Uyghurs, many, if not most, are Muslim, but some of them are Christians. Uh, but they're not just rounding up people who, who are terrorists or somehow. This is, a, this is an ethnic cleansing. It's a religious cleansing. And they're doing it because they want to gain control of that region of China. These are not Han Chinese, and the central government sees that as a threat. 
that when, when you look at it in light of cr- Christian persecution, there's a hundred million Christians, so it's harder to see how they would round them up. But they're using some of the same tactics against smaller groups. They're, they're holding and detaining Christian pastors, 10-year sentences, 20-year sentences. You, you, could see, you see them just disappearing, shutting down churches arresting people for going to church on Zoom. China is going to do everything it can to squash religious belief inside the country uh, because they see it as a threat to their communist regime. Right. Well, how are the Christians responding there? Because as you mentioned, you have 100 million Chinese Christians and there is some level of ability to travel, I would imagine, for some of these people. We have obviously American businessmen going into China and there's some back and forth. Is there any sort of movement of Christians trying to escape China right now? I think, you know, what you see is that Chinese Christians love China. They want to be great citizens in China. They love their country. But they're being monitored right now to such an extent that they're not even able to have any sort of free interchange online, these kinds of things. Any of that can be watched, tracked, scored, and then held against them. What's happening is the church is moving away from public gatherings, going back to some of this under ground church movement, it's harder and harder because they can use, they have a a massive facial recognition that can track you around the city uh, and certainly, you know, with your cell phone. All of that data is owned by the central government. Imagine in America if the IRS could track your, owned every camera in every restaurant in every street corner and they had the ability to, uh, whenever you bought your iPhone, you had to register it and the facial recognition with the government. Terrible. It's absolutely terrible. We're going to take a break. David Curry from Open Doors USA talking about the latest world watch list on Christian persecution. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. When it comes to choice, the Ministry of Preborn offers the ultimate life-saving choice by providing a free ultrasound to an abortion-minded mother, all to introduce her to her preborn baby. And when she sees her baby on ultrasound and hears that baby's heartbeat, in eight out of 10 cases, that mom will choose life. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood, and it's making a difference every day. The Ministry of Preborn reaches into the darkest corners and finds women in need to help them embrace motherhood. But the mission of Preborn is more than just a ministry to save babies. Its purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ by equipping pregnancy centers nationwide to help save both babies and souls. As Preborn puts thousands of ultrasounds into more pregnancy centers and counsels women, the ministry is also leading these moms to Christ. In 2020 alone, over 31,000 babies were saved and over 6,500 women came to the Lord. I'm going to keep my baby and I'm going to be a great mom. 
This Sanctity of Human Life Month, we honor the preborn by helping moms in crisis choose life for their preborn babies. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help choose life for 350 babies this month? All gifts are tax deductible. One ultrasound session costs $28 and $140 will sponsor five ultrasounds. Any gift of any amount will help. $100, $200, or even $1,000. You can call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your gift. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, it's such an important report that comes out every year from Open Doors USA. It's the World Watch List. David Curry is the president and CEO of Open Doors USA, and he is joining us to talk about these countries that are persecuting Christians around the world. And some of these numbers are staggering. One in eight Christians worldwide are now suffering high levels of persecution for their faith. David, we were talking a little bit about China and how China is ramping up the persecution of Christians, and they're using now these new techniques of uh, software technology in order to track Christians who go to church and it's driving the church back underground a bit. But of course, we're talking about Asia. You've got North Korea once again at the top of the list. And I know that's a little bit more challenging to find out the particulars of the persecution in North Korea. But is it worse in North Korea this year than it was last year? Or what is the situation? Well, 20 years in a row, it's been at the top of our list, and that's in spite of the fact there are some things that we can't document, and we only report that which we can document. But we still know it's the hardest place to be. That's because the government controls all the means to sustain life there. They they control the food sources. They control the the borders, they control the police, and then they can pay people in neighborhood watches to look for people who are practicing their faith or suspected of it. So all of that remains the same. 60,000 believers in prison camp for owning a Bible or, or trying to talk about their faith. All of that remains the same. The extra wrinkle, of course, COVID-19, where you have these large groups that have malnutrition, they have hunger issues, major starvation in the country. And while North Korea says they don't have any cases of COVID-19, we know they do. They're calling it the ghost disease because people just get it and die so quickly Mm -hmm. because of the malnutrition and the lack of medical care. That puts Christians at extra uh, vulnerability, certainly, because they're the last to get food. Uh, They're discriminated against and and considered the number one enemy of the state. And uh, so they're often in labor camps or in weakened condition. So we're concerned about that. That's an extra wrinkle. But North Korea is just absolutely cruel and inhumane. Yeah, they are. And I should mention what you've pointed out here when we're talking about China. They re-entered the top 20 for the first time in a decade, the top 20 worst countries for Christian persecution. Something else that is of note is this 60% rise in Christians, the number of Christians killed for their faith. Most of that rise has occurred in Africa. Is that primarily because of Boko Haram or other? It is. Okay. Yeah, Boko Haram is, is extending their territory. And of, you know, if you look at every day on average, there's about 13 Christians killed specifically for their faith, Uh. 10 of which would be in Nigeria. So, I mean, it's just exceptionally violent. That's why it's higher than than what's happening in China. You've got this massive squeeze. It's complete. It's surrounding. It's suffocating. 
but you don't have the 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 beheadings and the 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 kinds of brutality that you're seeing in Boko Haram in Nigeria and in the territory they're trying to control. Incredible, uh, you know. One of the countries mentioned there when we're talking about Africa is Eritrea, and you've got a list here talking about the reasons for persecution. The reason in Eritrea that has been cited is denominational protectionism. What exactly is going on in Eritrea? Well, you have an extremist government there that wants to clamp down on Christians. There are some expressions that are that are that are grandfathered in, you might say, established churches that are allowed to still function, but but they're arresting Christians. That you do have any sort of new kind of evangelical movements or or independent churches that pop up. These kinds of expressions are being tamped out. There's no question, though, that Eritrea, the persecution is being driven forward by an Islamic extremist uh, government that is using these Sharia law uh, ideologies to make life very difficult for Eritrea. Let me give you an example of of what happens in Eritrea. Because the, the government is so unstable, you'll have Christians who are arrested, put into a prison, but because they're arrested usually without charges, without any kind of criminality, they can often be lost in the system, be put into a cave, be put into a prison cell, and nobody knows they're there except for the person who's arrested them. But the government itself is turning over so quick that sometimes they get lost in the system. So it's it's an inhumanity by incompetence that is just chilling to think of the people that we... We're fighting for these people. We know they're there. We're talking to to governments around the world to make sure they're not forgotten. But that's the kind of scary thing that can happen inside Eritrea. Oh, yeah. Now, when you're talking about the Islamic extremism problem, clearly that's a problem all over the world. But is it getting exponentially worse in other areas besides Africa and the Boko Haram movement through Nigeria? And then, as you said, into places like Burkina Faso? It's a, it's a cancer that's metastasized. You have uh, 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 money sources. Saudi Arabia is one of them. Iran too, but they they have schools that train this kind of ideology. So the fact that ISIS doesn't have a capital anymore and doesn't control a caliphate doesn't mean these ideas aren't still spreading. It is an ideology. It is it is a philosophy, and that is still growing. It's being spread. People on uh, on Friday afternoon are preaching it in their mosques. Not everybody. It's it's clear that it's it, there's there's many many peaceful Muslims, but Islam has to address this weird sect within it because this ideology is spreading, and and they're attacking anyone they consider to be an infidel, and they're upsetting all manner of of uh, societies and cultures and economic systems, and of course attacking Christians. Of course. Now, Saudi Arabia, that's rather interesting because it seemed in the last several years there was some kind of concerted, at least PR effort to seem like they were getting better and freer and more open. That obviously can't be fully the case if we're seeing them in the top 20. Well, they've been funding these schools. They've cut down the number of madrasas that they're funding that have radical ideology. Uh, and you might even say cut it significantly, but the reality is they exist. They're still cranking out imams with this ideology. I think there could be some improvement. Their neighbor, 
next door has seen some improvement uh, in Bahrain, uh, where you have freedom of, of expression. It's much, much smaller, of course. But Saudi Arabia has a long way to go. Obviously, there's a lot of human rights issues there uh, that need to be addressed. But uh, freedom of religious expression is one that still has a ways to go. Right. What about lower level persecution? I think we've discussed in the past how things have been shifting, for example, in the West, and we see that all around us right now. But what what is your assessment basically of Western nations and their persecution of Christians, maybe a softer persecution, certainly, but, but what's going on from your data concerning Christians in our part of the world? Well, I think, you know, we're all, all, obviously people of faith are aware of, of, of the image that's being painted of Christians as intolerant, how, how there's a, a desire to, I remember in the COVID-19 shutdown, the state of Washington, the state of Nevada weren't even allowing churches to have drive-up churches where people didn't even roll down their window. Right. So clearly there's a, there, there, there is this sense that there may be a shift in how people are viewing Christians and Christian and religious expression. I think, keep in mind now, we measure what's going on in in many, many countries outside of the top 50. And America in no way, even with all of that, rises to the level of being anywhere near the top 100. Right. So there's a long way to go. I think what we can do, though, we have to look at these issues of censorship. We have to look at issues of privacy online, look at um, where churches uh, could be vulnerable to attack uh, on either as soft targets or even through the governmental system of taxes and zoning and these kinds of things, because these are all tactics you see on the world watch list, using zoning, using communication licenses, using uh, seeing churches as soft targets for, for terrorism. All of these things are things we need to ponder, because if we imagine a future where there is more persecution, that's exactly how it would happen. Yeah, you're right about that. Exactly. And and making the very important point that obviously the United States is nothing compared to what's going on in so many of these countries that you've highlighted. When you look at some of these top persecuting countries, David, when you see North Korea, which has been there year after year, and Afghanistan and Libya and Pakistan, I, I'm sure there are Christians who read the list and say, is there ever any hope for any of these countries? Clearly the Lord can do anything. But as far as as the international religious freedom efforts that have been launched in our own nation and and people are working very very hard on that issue is it making any sort of difference in some of these tougher countries I, I think there is there's always hope we've seen China uh, get better it was horrible it got better now they're cracking down again I think these are ideas on which you need to speak out advocate make sure we're sharing these stories I, I absolutely believe there's hope I don't think you're ever going to change the fact that people are going to persecute Christians for their faith it's been promised to us yep. in the Bible the only way we can really stop it is to stop talking about Jesus stop living our faith nobody I don't think intends to do that even in the face of persecution. But what we must do is stand out, speak up for those people around the world who are alone in this. They feel like they're isolated. 
and nobody knows, and we're going to tell their story. They can't suffer alone. We've got to speak up, and where we can, step in and help them. And that's a lot of what Open Doors is trying to do. We're trying to shine a light on it, but also to see what can we do to help the church to survive and hopefully over time thrive in these difficult areas. That's really good. David, I know we're almost out of time, but do you have any one overwhelming area of concern for 2021? I know there are many countries we care about them all, but anything that stands out for you? I think the number one threat is going to be technology, its ability to monitor online behavior. I worry about churches being shut down, algorithms, uh, you know, silencing Christian expression, not just in China. It's a threat everywhere, and I think we need to watch it. No doubt about it. Well, people can check out your World Watch list. I'll give out the web address. It's opendoorsusa.org. That's the website for Open Doors USA. David Curry, President and CEO. Thank you so much, David, for the update. We really appreciate what you guys do, and God bless. Thank you, Janet. Thank you so much. We'll be back right after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Here we go again. The House of Representatives, second time in 13 months, impeaching the president of the United States. It's kind of funny. Somebody was making the remark on Twitter. Not that I'm there anymore, but I did happen to see this. Somebody was making the remark that this is the second time that they've impeached Trump over remarks that were refuted by looking at a transcript. Because that's true. We had a transcript of the Ukrainian phone call. We had a transcript of the speech that Trump delivered at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because it's all political theater. Now, people can disagree on whether or not it was a wise move for President Trump in retrospect to have held a rally there and try to make a big moment of it. But I don't know how in the world you can make a serious case that he incited an insurrection. You would have to have statements from the president definitively telling people, go down to the Capitol and break in. I mean, now that's pretty straightforward. If he said something like that, I'd be totally with him. You don't do that. You don't do that. But it's a little hard to come up with some sort of serious case of incitement to an insurrection, not only because of that, but because these people are total hypocrites. These Democrats are such hypocrites. It's off the charts. It's just absolutely unbelievable. Does anybody remember all of those months when there were riots in the streets and looting and burning and people were terrified and small businesses were being destroyed and outfits like CNN were standing in front of burning buildings in Kenosha talking about fiery but mostly peaceful protests. I mean, we all saw that. It wasn't our imagination, right? Because millions of us saw it happen. And yet they have the gall in light of the fact that even Kamala Harris, the incoming vice president of the United States, was bailing out rioters. But there's no problem there. There's absolutely no problem with the Democrats 
you know, justifying all of what went on for months and months and months during a pandemic shutdown when the rest of us were having to stay home. It's okay if you're part of Black Lives Matter, if you're part of Antifa, you're just a peaceful demonstrator. Pay no attention to those flames behind the shoulder of the reporter. So let's go to some of this audio. I'm not even going to waste your time playing the audio of these preening Democrats. And by the way, Eric Swalwell, why is that guy still around? Again, this is another thing with the the utter hypocrisy of the Democrats. That man and his involvement with a Chinese spy. What are you doing putting him? Why isn't he gone? Why is he still in office? But see, being on the left and being on that side of the aisle means never having to account for anything you do that is 110% corrupt. Doesn't matter because you are automatically forgiven and automatically everything that you've done is ignored no matter how illegal, no matter how you know problematic it is for national security or potentially problematic for national security. Doesn't matter. If you're a good member of the left, you can get away with pretty much anything. Is anybody doubting that anymore? But I appreciate people like Florida Congressman Matt Gates. He had some good moments objecting to this entire process of impeaching the president of the United States for the second time. Let's listen to a little bit of what he said. This is cut one. Seems to me that impeachment is an itch that doesn't go away with just one scratch. It also seems that President Trump may be most likely to be impeached when he is correct. Before the last presidential impeachment, President Trump rightly pointed out the improper activities of the Biden crime family, and subsequently he's been proven right. And don't think for a moment, Madam Speaker, that we're going to drop that or stop our pursuit for the truth. Before that, we had the Russia hoax, where you had the president rightly making claims that Hillary Clinton and the DNC were colluding with Russians to disorient our democracy how right he turned out to be. And then we have the 2020 presidential election where the president correctly pointed out unconstitutional behavior, voting irregularities, concerns over tabulations, dead people voting, and now impeachment again. When they go low, we kick them. Eric Holder, former attorney general under Barack Obama, breaching the Capitol was as low as low can be. We all denounce it. But who is it that they're kicking? The president, who created soaring highs for our economy, rising wages before the pandemic, 400 miles of wall to stop the caravans, who drew down troops in the Middle East and showed empathy for the forgotten men and women of our country. It's why so many people love him so much, and it's why they're kicking all of us. Well, I think it's interesting that he used the phrase Biden crime family. The left didn't like that at all. They didn't like that at all. And yet, where is the Hunter Biden investigation, by the way? What of that laptop? What of all of the evidence that came forward prior to the election that Tony Bobulinski revealed, who's not a Republican, by the way, but had an awful lot of information about what was going on pertaining to financial misdeeds, shall we say, within the Biden family? Will that go anywhere? I don't know. Did the Clinton investigation go anywhere? Was there really any serious Clinton investigation? We know Comey didn't think there was. Oh, she's guilty of this and this and then classified information, email server. And uh, by the way, I'm not going to bring any charges because nobody would take up this case. What? What just happened here? It's funny how everything when it comes to the left kind of ends up in that direction. 
You don't think there's a deep state? It's deeper than anybody knew. Now, Matt Gates also reminded everybody about what Nancy Pelosi did during Trump's State of the Union address. You remember this. And then at the end, he's cut off. But listen to this. Cut two. This president has faced unprecedented hatred and resistance from big media, big tech and big egos from congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle. Before the rioters tore through that glass, Speaker Pelosi stood at that rostrum and tore through the president's State of the Union speech, inciting anger, resentment, division. Some believe that truly these true colors are being shown now through this divisive partisan impeachment. Okay, he got cut off there. They said, wait a minute, you're out, you're out of time, you're out of time, you're out of time. He ended up getting a little bit more time back, and he called out some more Democrat hypocrisy. This is cut three. The speaker said to us just moments ago, words matter. But apparently those words don't matter when they're uttered by Democrats. When the gentlelady from Massachusetts calls for unrest in the streets, when the gentlelady from California brazenly brags, that she called for people to get in the faces of those who serve and support the president. I denounced political violence from all ends of the spectrum. But make no mistake, the left in America has incited far more political violence than the right. For months, our cities burned, police stations burned, our businesses were shattered, and they said nothing. Or they cheerled for it, and they fundraised for it. And they allowed it to happen in the greatest country in the world. Now, some have cited some have cited the metaphor that the president lit the flame. Well, they lit actual flames, actual fires. And we time put them out. Fired, there will be order in the house. I yield back. Now, there were people who responded to that by saying, is he accusing Democratic leadership in the House of having lit fires? I think he was using the word they a little bit more broadly to talk about leftist activists who were totally incited by some of those Democrat gentle ladies. Isn't that pretty hilarious if you think about it? The gentle lady from California was telling people to get in the faces of Trump supporters. <laughs> she, Yeah, really gentle. Oh, gentle ain't what it used to be. And, you know, I really appreciated what Representative Tom McClintock of California had to say. He said, if we impeached every politician who gave a fiery speech to a crowd of partisans, this Capitol would be deserted. That's what the president did. That is all he did. And he added, I cannot think of a more petty, vindictive and gratuitous act than to impeach an already defeated president a week before he is to leave office. That's exactly what it is. Petty, vindictive, gratuitous, and I would add politically partisan. Yes, there were 10 Republicans who voted to impeach the president of the United States yesterday. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but it's, there's no point to it. There's no point to it other than to just, we're just going to seize this moment before Trump leaves and make sure he never makes a comeback. It's kind of funny though, what the polls are showing on that score, because surprisingly, an awful lot of people would vote for him again. We'll get into that when we come back. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us.
The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not in insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org JMT or 855-585-4237. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Mabel walks 18 miles to church every Sunday. She lives in Zimbabwe, where churches are widely scattered in remote regions of this African country. That's one reason why she travels so far. The other reason she walks nine miles each way is that the gospel has truly captured her heart. After coming to faith in Jesus Christ, Mabel reads and studies her Bible, and she's discovered that the gospel is meant to be shared with others. So with the help of Bible League, International. She's learning to share her faith and she's helping to see a church develop closer to her village. Bibles are desperately needed in Africa and around the world right now, and you can send one to a Bibleist believer today for only $5, or $50 will send 10 Bibles. Become a Bible sender today by calling 800 Yes Word. That's 800 Y E S W O R D. 800 Yes Word, or there's a banner to click at Janet Mefford. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I really don't see what the point of yesterday was. The second impeachment of President Trump in 13 months. Why don't they just keep impeaching him? Just, you know, impeach him after he leaves office and then impeach him several more times. And then the following year, just keep on impeaching him. You can just do it kind of quarterly. We know that Donald Trump's been out of office now for four years, but we just feel the need to impeach him once again. What, what this ends up doing is taking away the stature, the stature of the House of Representatives. The Congress is supposed to be, at least back in the minds of the founders and presumably most Americans over time, a serious deliberative body. The Senate has a little bit more cachet, but the House is still supposed to be a serious body of lawmakers who were elected as representatives of the American people. And it's just gone so far off the rails. How do you get any of these people back on the rails? Well, I really have to say that when it comes down to it, I blame the American people. A a huge number of people in the United States are completely ignorant of what's going on in the United States at any given time. They're watching their Netflix, they're playing on their smartphones, they're doing whatever they do in their daily lives. I understand that people are busy, but you can't have a republic and not even know what's going on. Oh, I don't like politics. Well, politics is going to be very important in your life, whether you're interested in it or not. So you might want to pay attention. And when you see some of these people, I won't name names right now, but you see some of these people who are serving in the House of Representatives who are despicable human beings, in my opinion, and I can't imagine why anybody would elect half these people. Seriously, I don't understand it. The stuff that has gone on, Matt Gates pointing out Nancy Pelosi ripping up Trump's speech during the State of the Union, that is a hostile act. 
And no, it's not something she could be removed from office over necessarily, but it's just completely rude. And these people want to talk about unity. These people want to talk about coming together. Oh, except for when people like uh, Claire McCaskill say, shut up about unity. Uh, Except for that, they want unity. Except for bailing out rioters, they want unity. Except for telling people to get in the faces of Trump supporters, it's all about unity. All unity means, as I said on yesterday's program, is submit. Submit to us, accept that we are your overlords. And that is not the American way of government. That is not what the founders envisioned. They had enough of tyranny in their own day. And they fought a revolution against the British in order to liberate this land from the king. Remember, go back and read the Declaration of Independence. They didn't believe in people being elected to the Congress in order to lord it over the people. They saw those people as public servants. People still use that phrase today, public servants. But they use it with their tongue firmly in their cheek, a lot of them, because they're not public servants. Too many of these people go into the Beltway. They love their cocktail parties. They love their K Street friends. They become millionaires on these public servant salaries. Isn't that amazing how that happens? Do you go to work on your salary and suddenly emerge a millionaire? These people do. And they're, they're having fun together and they're, you know, it's just one big social club for a lot of these people. And I praise the Lord that there are some people who will not play the game, but there are far too few of them. You can't maintain a republic like this, folks. You can't. And it begins with the American people being aware of what is going on in the halls of Congress and throwing people out who have no business being there, primarying them or getting them out of office one way or another by legal means. Listen to the names of some of these House Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump yesterday. Representative Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, Liz Cheney of Wyoming, don't get me started on her, John Katko of New York, Fred Upton of Michigan, Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington, Dan Newhouse of Washington, Peter Meyer of Michigan, Anthony Gonzalez of Ohio, Tom Rice of South Carolina, and David Valadao of California. I think I'm saying that right. So there are your names. You want to primary these people? You can. I am not condoning violence at all. Those people had no business breaking into the Capitol and doing what they did. But it's not Trump's fault. He he may have been unwise in calling that rally in retrospect, but he did not incite those people. He did not call for an insurrection. He did not use violent language. And these people are just total... I don't even know what to say about these people. Jim Jordan, though, had some things to say. Let's listen to him. Congressman Jim Jordan pointing out the Democrats double standard when it comes to objecting to election results. This was a good moment. Cut for they can object to Alabama in 2017, but tell us we can't object to Pennsylvania in 2021. Pennsylvania, where the state Supreme Court just unilaterally extended the election to Friday. Pennsylvania, where the secretary of state unilaterally changed the rules went around the legislature in unconstitutional fashion. Pennsylvania were county clerks in some counties, and you can imagine which counties they were, let people fix their ballots against the law, fix, cure their ballots, their mail-in ballots, directly viol- direct violation of the law. And they tell us we tried to overturn the election. Guess who the second objector was in 2017? The individual managing the impeachment for the Democrats. Americans are tired of the double standard. They are so tired of it. Democrats object to more states in 2017 than Republicans did last week, but somehow we're wrong. Democrats can raise bail for rioters and looters this summer, but somehow when Republicans condemn all the violence, the violence this summer, the violence last week, somehow we're wrong. And Democrats can investigate the President of the United States as Mr. Hoyer went through, try to impeach him 
investigating for four years, but will not look at an election that 80 million Americans, half the electorate, 80 million Republicans and Democrats have their doubts about. I, I, I said this last night. I do not know where all this goes. And this is frightening for the country. It is frightening for the country because these people have no goodwill. That's not what it's about. They don't care about the people. They just want to get rich and they want to impose more and more taxes on people and they want to take away your freedoms little by little by little because most people aren't paying attention. They don't know. Oh, really? We don't have a First Amendment anymore? Oh, who knew? Not that they're actually trying to repeal the First Amendment at this juncture, but they certainly are trying to do things to undermine our freedoms every single day. Just wait. Just wait, hold your horses and hang on because it's going to be a bumpy ride for the next four years. And by the way, this is quite interesting to me. Rasmussen reports shows that President Trump's approval rating is 46 percent. That's an awful lot of people to have uh, an upvote for the president when he's supposedly an inciter of an insurrection. Rasmussen, as Breitbart points out, is one of the few pollsters out there that anybody can trust. Frank Luntz, they report, also has a poll out showing two-thirds, 65 percent of Republicans, are prepared to vote for Trump in the 2024 GOP primary. Only 35 percent said they would vote for a different Republican. You see what's happening here? Up against a Democrat, 91% of Trump voters still say they would vote for Trump in a general election campaign against Biden. 91%. So that's very interesting. Only 9% walked away from the president after 24-7 screaming, yelling, he's an insider, he's dangerous, he's going to employ the nuclear codes, we're all going to die, invoke the 25th Amendment, get a hook, grab him, throw him off the stage like he's on the gong show. Only 9% of Republicans are in agreement with that. Here's what's very interesting, too. Think about the timing of all of this. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has rejected Democratic calls to bring the Senate back in order to immediately convict President Trump, which means this was all for nothing. This was all for nothing. He's leaving office next week. He doesn't need that. Well, why would you impeach a president a week before he's leaving office anyway? Does anybody seriously believe the President Trump will not leave? He's going to leave. It's ridiculous. McConnell's office made this clear to Chuck Schumer's aides yesterday, and he also sent a note to Republican senators saying that the chamber is not going to be returning until the 19th of January. So in that case, you wouldn't even have an impeachment trial begin until the early days of uh, President Biden. It's hard for me to say that. Sorry, folks. What have we done? What have we done to this country? What have we done to this country? The people who are paying attention, who do love this country, who are patriots, who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are paying attention to everything that has gone down in politics throughout their lives, see exactly what's on the horizon. How do you keep a republic? How do you keep a republic? I had someone say to me not too long ago, you can't have a country with these people. And I thought that was one of the best lines I'd heard. You can't have a country with these people. They say unity and then they do stuff like this. They, they, in, they go out there and they basically are fine because they didn't go out and denounce BLM and Antifa and they're not saying much about anything when it was all going on. And yet, oh, 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 some rioters broke into the Capitol, even though they were about a mile away from the president and he wasn't even finished with his speech when they did it. And that's all Trump's fault. How do you have a country with these people? I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know if the country can recover from all of this. It remains to be seen. All I know is as a Christian, I'm going to continue to pray for the repentance of the people of this country. I've been reading through the book of Amos and boy, is it incredibly appropriate for these times. Go read it. It's a wonderful book of the Bible. Minor prophet Amos, a sheep breeder, had a lot to say about repentance and judgment. We've got to leave it there. Thank you for being with us on Janet Mefford today, and we will see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. Help us save 350 babies' lives by the end of January through a gift of one free ultrasound. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com.